It's a joy to be able to gather with you this Lord's Day morning. And uh, before we proceed, I just uh, invite uh, you to join me in prayer. Let's pray together, shall we? A gracious and uh, loving and holy Father in heaven, we are grateful uh, on this wonderful Lord's Day morning. Once again, you have been pleased to bring us together for the worship of your great and your glorious name. We thank you because this is such a blessing to us. We acknowledge that uh, if we were left to ourselves, most likely this would not have been our choice to come for worship to come and to gather as we have done and to listen to the proclamation of your word. But such is your grace and your mercy to sinners like us that you have been pleased with that gracious intervention in our own lives. That even though in the past we have lived lives that are self-centered, lives that are sinful and rebellious in your sight. Thank you that you have not treated us and given to us what we deserve. But out of the richness of your grace, you have been pleased to draw us to yourself, to rescue us from rebellion against God, transforming our hearts into those who love and serve the God that we once hated. So thank you for this wonderful joy and blessing you have given to us. And we pray that this morning may your son, the Lord Jesus, become even more precious to us as we gather to worship you. Help us that we might grow in our love for him. That as the Holy Spirit continues to work in us, that we would be transformed more and more into his image. That our lives might speak of that wonderful grace that we have received in Christ. That the fruit of the Spirit will become more and more prominent as we live our lives in this world. That those who do not know you, as they mingle with us, they may be able to see something of the amazing grace of God in our own hearts and lives. So we thank you for this new day. We thank you for the blessing of meeting as we have done. And we are aware that there are many people who are gospel-loving churches who are meeting just like we are doing this hour. Uh, here in Arizona and across the entire United States, indeed across the entire world, we pray for them that as they meet this morning, they may know God's blessing upon their meetings. We also want to pray for those of our number who are not well. Uh, there are many who been laid aside due to ill health. We do pray for them this hour that they might know your grace, your mercy, 
your healing hand upon them. We continue to pray for our brother Aaron, who continues to suffer, that you will remember him and be very gracious to him, and that the time will come when he can testify of the goodness of God in the land of the living. And there are many others who perhaps are not known to us, but are suffering in their own personal lives. We bring them before you, whatever their needs may be. Father, that you will intervene in their hearts and lives and grant that they might know your blessing upon their lives. We pray for the children of the church that as they grow amongst us, may they be able to grow in the admonition and teaching of the Lord that in due course they might be truly converted and come to Christ and embrace him as Lord and Savior. But we pray, Father, that uh, they may not just be uh, people who are exposed to the gospel, but rather that the gospel will truly transform them and make them into brand new people in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so now we pray that as we turn to the sacred page, that you will be pleased to send the Holy Spirit and grant that uh, we, we will know the Holy Spirit lifting your word out of its sacred pages, making it a living reality to each one of us, that as we receive it, may the Holy Spirit himself be present to apply that word to truly make the Lord Jesus wonderful and precious to us that we might find our complete rest in knowing him, in loving him, and in living for his honor and for his glory. So we now turn to you and ask you to speak to us and visit us now as we call upon you asking these messages in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. I would like to invite you now this morning to turn to the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Galatians and chapter 1. Uh, we read Galatians chapter 1 uh, and just uh, first of all we'll read in verse 6. Galatians 1 and verse 6. I just wanted to let you know since we have been taking a series of studies in Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and uh, we will take a, a brief pause uh, from that particular series. We will return to it uh, later. Uh, now, since we are at the beginning of the year, once again, there are some uh, issues that I felt would be very useful to us to consider together. And this morning will be the first one of those uh, meetings when we talk about uh, these issues. So Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6, the Apostle Paul writing this letter to the Galatians, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who, are, who trouble you 
and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, I think that because we live in a day where there's a lot of um, heresy, there's a lot of wrong teaching that we have to contend with almost on a daily basis, uh, I think that it is easy for us to think that uh, this is uh, a problem for us, perhaps because we live in the last days. Uh, this morning I want to remind you, to let you know that uh, uh, the problem of facing false teaching is a problem that has always been around from the conception of the church, the issue of the church contending with heresy and wrong teaching is uh, quite clear that even in, in the days of the apostles themselves, they had to contend with wrong teaching. Here, as we are reading in Galatians, most of the apostles of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, are still alive. They are still uh, living and breathing and saving their master. But still, the enemy of our souls, the devil, did not waste time to try and confuse the people, to try and twist the gospel, to try and bring confusion with the teaching that is not correct. And this is the reason why the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Galatians, because of that issue of wrong teaching. Now, the Apostle Paul, if you have read the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul had what are called three missionary journeys. And so after he was... Uh, ordained by the church. They recognized that uh, he was called by God to preach the gospel among the Gentiles, and he was sent forth to preach the gospel. He, in fact, the first place that he went to was the region of Galatia. That is the first place where he went and preached the gospel. And then in his second and third missionary journey, he actually went back to the churches of Galatia. And then perhaps this is the reason why he is very concerned that these people to whom he has preached the gospel, these people to whom he had uh, uh, shared the grace of God in Christ, and they had become Christians, they had uh, become a, a, a growing church, he then heard a bad report about them, that they were turning away from the message that he had preached to them, the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. And so then, he writes this letter out of that concern, out of that love that he had for them. And it is fairly a stern warning to the Christians in Galatia. He is speaking to them with a very stern voice, to try and dissuade them from readily embracing that new uh, message that uh, they had heard. 
Now, remember also that when the Apostle Paul was preaching the gospel, uh, and he was moving from place to place, his, his practice was that he would go first to the Jews and preach, for instance, in a synagogue. And then uh, if, you know, he would have some converts, but what would normally happen is that when he had those converts, the, the, the Jews who did not believe became violent and they, they would try and run him out of the city or something like that. So they basically were persecuting the Apostle Paul. And then you notice that the Apostle Paul then he says, all right, if you guys don't want the gospel, we will now turn to the Gentiles. And so he goes and begins to share the gospel with uh, the Gentiles. And as you recall, once again, uh, because this was God's plan, the Gentiles began to embrace the message and to believe the message preached by Paul. But the unbelieving Jews were very, very violent. In fact, it is in one of the cities of Galatia, if you read in Acts chapter 14, that the Apostle Paul was stoned and they left him up for dead. But God raised him up. And the Bible tells us the next day he went back into Lystra. That's the name of the city. And continued to preach the gospel to strengthen the new disciples and to let them know that through many tribulations shall we enter the kingdom of God. Now, there were two things that happened because of the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. As I've already hinted at, the first thing was these violent Jews who would want to run him out of the city or to whatever, you know, do something physically to harm him. But with time, you know, because of ethnicity, there were these other Jews who were very concerned at the fact that their countrymen and women did not like the message of the gospel. And they began to feel like they needed to do something to appease those kinds of people, to make them, you know, be at peace with the gospel preachers like Paul. And because of that kind of thinking, they slowly but surely began, began to accommodate them and their ideas to try and find what you might call common ground so that they, they are not offended. They are not, you know, uh, left to a situation where they, they, they just hate the gospel. And, 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 and the, the sort of people that we find are those that we have just read about in Acts chapter 15 who uh, came from Jerusalem. And you know, Jerusalem was like the main church uh, in those days. And, and they, they sort of went to all the places that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had been reaching out and preaching the gospel. And, and they began to say, okay, fine. It's good that you guys have uh, uh, you know, believed the gospel. 
But, uh, you know, this, this is just half the truth. Uh, if you really want to be a true child of God, if you really want to be a Christian, uh, then, you know, you need to be circumcised. And, and then you need to start uh, observing the ceremonial law of Moses. Uh, if you really want to follow and be a, a full-orbed Christian, that is what you need to do. And the apostle had that there were these people who were preaching this kind of message. And he also heard that somehow these Christians in Galatia, they were falling for this kind of message. They were embracing this kind of message. And, you know, on first value, if you really look at it, it doesn't look that it is that such a serious issue. You know? Uh, yeah, it's good enough that you believe in Christ. You see, this is the, the, the problem with false teachers. They, they don't come and just sort of say, you know, what you're doing is wrong. They come and say, yeah, it's good for you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that is not enough. You need to be circumcised. You need to be following the dietary laws that the Jews were following in the Old Testament. And all those sort of traditions handed over from Moses. You need to believe this if you want to be a complete, a full Christian. And the Apostle Paul is beside himself. And he says, it is not a simple matter. This message, if you follow it to its logical conclusion, it means, and that's what he means in verse 6, you are deserting God. It means you are turning away from the grace of God. It means you are introducing the element or the fact that Yes, you need Christ. But apart from Christ, you need something else, something more. And that is why the Apostle Paul is speaking to them in the way he does. And as we consider this particular passage, there are three things I would like to call your attention to. First is... Paul's defense. The second is Paul's declaration. And the third is Paul's denunciation. So those three Ds is what uh, will occupy the rest of my time here and we should be done at the end of it. So in order to be able to address this particular error, the Apostle Paul wants to defend his apostleship. And so he begins, if you like, in chapter 1 and verse 1. He introduces himself, Paul, an apostle 
And then he says something that's interesting. Not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. That is the way in which he introduces himself. And he does so because these false teachers who were going around and trying to seduce the people, to try to con the people to abandon their faith in the gospel of grace, the other thing that they were saying is that, you know what, you should be careful. Don't really listen to this man. He was not there with the 12 when they walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why the Apostle Paul, he thinks it's absolutely necessary to set the record straight. And he begins by telling them, I am an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now this obviously brings us all the way to the story of how Paul became a Christian. And we oftentimes pick the story when Stephen is being stoned. And the Bible tells us there that the people who were stoning Stephen, you know, if they were wearing jackets or garments, whatever they were wearing, he says they removed their jackets so they could feel free and their ties, and he says they put them at the feet of Saul. That's where we first meet this man. He is a man who hates Christians, and he hates Christianity. He is a man who hates the Lord Jesus Christ because he is convinced that Jesus is a fraud and that the only way to be right with God is to be a Jew and to follow the law of Moses. And so wherever he finds people who are preaching the gospel of Christ, he is absolutely outraged. And he is going to do everything in his power to stamp out this message from the face of the earth. That is where we meet him. He is raging with hatred against this message. He is absolutely determined to see to it that he's going to deal with the last Christian in the world. And in pursuit of those ideas, we are told that he, was, he went to the chief priests and they gave him letters and authority so that wherever he could go and find Christians, he would arrest them and throw them into jail and convince them that they must not listen to the gospel. Now, the reason why it's important to begin at the death of Stephen is because when you read about Paul at this point, if you were there, and then we say to you, Paul is about to become a Christian, you would not believe it. 
if we told you at that particular point, this is the chosen instrument of God who is going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, you would not believe it. I would not believe it. But remember, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I want you to bear in mind that Paul is not a man who is seeking. You know, he's not a man who is sort of saying, you know, maybe there is something for this Jesus, you know. You really never know. So, you know, secretly like in his own bedroom, he's sort of reading, what can I find about this Jesus? That's not Paul. Paul positively hates with an intense hatred Jesus and everything that he stands for. And as he journeyed on his road to Damascus, then the unthinkable, the unexpected happens. Here is a light, and Paul calls it, it was brighter than the noonday sunlight. There's this light, and he's struck by that light, and he falls to the ground, and then he hears that voice, that voice that he never in a million years thought he would ever hear. So, so, why are you persecuting me? And then he asks the all Who are you, Lord? At least he acknowledges whoever it is, it must be a Lord. But who are you? And the Bible tells us he gets the answer. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus? The one I am persecuting? The one I think is a fraud. The one I think is misleading my nation. Yeah. And in that moment, Paul is converted. And the Lord Jesus Christ gives him some instructions. Go into Damascus. I will tell you what you need. There, we are told there is an unknown disciple, and his name is Ananias. And the Bible says that he has a vision. And in this vision, the Lord Jesus Christ says to him, Hey, I want you to go to a street called Straight in Damascus. And there, at such such a house, you will find a man. His name is Saul. And he has seen in a vision someone called Ananias laying his hands on him. And Ananias asks the question, you know what, I, I am ready to do that. There's only one problem. This man whom you are saying I should go and lay hands on, uh, he's been laying hands on people like me <laughs> and taking them to prison. 
and persecuting them. So what, why did I hear you correctly? And Lord Jesus Christ said, yeah. He is a chosen instrument of mine. Go. That's the beginning of Paul's ministry. And that is why he's saying here, he was made an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and the Father who raised him from the dead. Now if you come down to verse 11, Galatians chapter 1. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Now verse 12. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul there is telling us that the way he learned this gospel, he did not go to the apostles who were there in Jerusalem and sit at their feet and began to be instructed. He says, no, no, no. The Lord Jesus Christ himself the risen Savior appeared to me and he taught me the gospel. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he, who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's now, what is Paul talking about here? Just this point. He's saying, I am an apostle, and I can, I can prove it to you. I am an apostle because Jesus revealed himself to me. And even after he revealed himself to me, I went in Arabia for three years. And there, Jesus continued to reveal himself to Paul and taught him everything that he needed to know and made him an apostle. So that is why he begins by introducing himself in the way in which he does. An apostle, not from men, nor through man, 
through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, what's the big deal about this? It's a big deal because he wants them to prove that he is an apostle in exactly the same way the other apostles were. Because he had been taught by the Lord Jesus Christ personally. The Lord Jesus Christ revealed himself to Paul. You remember when he's talking about why it's important that we believe in the resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 15, and he says, he revealed himself to the, the disciples and then to the 500, most of whom are still alive, and then he says, last of all, the Lord Jesus revealed himself to me as one born out of Paul is made an apostle and he is made an apostle directly by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus, risen from the dead, reveals himself to Paul again and again and again in that whole period in which he is in Arabia. And he teaches him the whole revelation of the gospel. Now, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says to us there some things that are absolutely very strange. He says, I knew a man who was caught up to the third heaven, speaking about himself. But this is not something that he actually was free to talk about. But he does mention to us that God had revealed all these things to him. And the reason was simple. Because from all eternity, God had ordained that Paul was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And so he took him up and gave him these extraordinary visions and revealed to him all that he wrote about in the New Testament. It is not by accident that the two-thirds of the New Testament was written by this man. It was by God's own appointment. It was God's own will. And that is why then he says, this is important because I want to set the record straight so that you know that the gospel that I preaching to you, I got it firsthand from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That what I'm about to say to you is the very word of God. I was not taught by any man. I was not schooled by any individual. If that is what God had intended, it would have happened. But God chose that he was going to reveal these things directly to Paul himself. And so then he is getting ready to defend the gospel that he preaches. 
He wants to establish his credentials that he is not an inferior. He's not a John come lately. He is a man appointed by God. God himself was pleased to reveal the gospel to Paul. That is his defense. And secondly then, he wants to declare the gospel that he preaches. And then he says to us, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then in that verse 8 and verse 9, he pronounces a curse upon those who do not believe the gospel as it is proclaimed by Christ. But if you go back to verse 3, the Apostle Paul does something that is unique only in Galatians. Now, I am sure that all of you are familiar with the letters of the Apostle Paul, so he oftentimes introduces himself, and then he pronounces a blessing or a benediction on his recipients, on his hearers. You can read all the letters of the Apostle Paul. They are like that. Paul, an apostle from God, and then he says, blessing and peace to you in Christ. That, that's the way he writes all his letters. The only exception is here in Galatians. And here in Galatians he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says what? Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. So he says grace and peace, and then he quickly breaks into a commendation of the gospel itself, rather than his recipients. And uh, he has that little reformed phrase, if you want to say that uh, wonderful summary where he says, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. And that in a nutshell is what the gospel is about. It's about God sending his own son, the Lord Jesus, who comes on a rescue mission. And in order to rescue the people of God, he has to go to the cross and die. That is absolutely necessary. 
And he does that because it is the only way in which we can be rescued from our sins. There is no other way in which a sinner can be made right with God unless God himself makes a provision. And the provision that God makes is his only begotten son. And his only begotten son must go and die and suffer at the cross. And he does that because it is the only way in which a holy and righteous God can forgive wicked, evil, sinful men and women in this present evil world. That's the gospel. That is what is happening. In fact, this is the way to understand the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the shadow. And what is the shadow teaching us? What does it mean that all these human beings are taking animals to the temple to slaughter? What does that all symbolize or mean? It means that in the fullness of time, God is going to send his own lamb. And that lamb will have to die. And he dies in order to rescue men and women, boys and girls in this present evil age. He rescues them from their sin by dying for them. Now, that's the best way to say it. If you go to chapter 2, and verse 15. He says the same thing, but he says it in a more clear way for us to understand. He says there, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. That's a declaration of the message of the gospel. This is the way in which guilty sinners are reconciled with a holy and righteous God. It is by faith in a crucified, in a bleeding Savior, one who hangs in utter nakedness and shame on a cross by believing in him that saved. And the apostle makes it clear that even all of us who are Jews, we know you cannot be saved by observing the law of Moses. You cannot be saved 
by your own works. There's only one way to be saved. There is only one way to be reconciled to God. You must come as a guilty sinner and looking to the crucified Lamb of God on Calvary's tree. Now, you know, this is very interesting. If you want to believe in the fact that God knows the future, here is the evidence. So God knows that there are going to be these Judaizers, these false teachers who are coming to trouble the Gentiles. And he chooses a man who was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, well in advance, and saves him by the gospel of grace, and then sends him to meet the Judaizers. Because then he can tell them, I am a Jew. I am a Pharisee of the Pharisees, and I have honestly tried to live the life by observing the law of Moses. And I can tell you, it is not true. It can't work. It's only in Christ crucified, risen from the dead, only in Christ that a Jew and a Gentile can be saved. God had already made provision. These were former Pharisees. He says they came from James. They came from Jerusalem. They had these credentials and they come to try and undermine Paul and say he is not really the the the, the an apostle. You, you should listen to the ones from Jerusalem. That's where we are coming from. And they begin to mislead God's people. But God in grace has already prepared this man, Saul of Tarsus, to come and completely blow that heresy out of the water. Because it tells them it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, that men and women are saved, whether they be Jews or Gentiles. Finally, the denunciation. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Now, you know, it would have been nice if Paul had said, but even if we or an angel from hell 
You know, but that's not what he says. He says, even if we and an angel from heaven, for instance, if Gabriel appeared to you uh, and said to you, you know, uh, it's not enough that you should believe in Christ. You need to be circumcised. Even if you know this is Gabriel from heaven. The Apostle Paul tells them, let him be accursed. Let him be damned. The curse of Almighty God rests on such an individual. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. What does that mean? It means that the gospel is good news, but it has very serious implications as to what you do with it. You have no right to change the gospel. You have no right to think like, you know, uh, we are living in the 21st century now. It doesn't make sense for us to be talking about blood, and the cross. Our people are sophisticated. We need to find a way to, to reach them and, and, and to speak in a way. The Apostle Paul says, the curse of God is on you. If that's the way you think. The curse of Almighty God is on your head. You have no right to change the message. But secondly, if you do not believe this gospel, the curse of God is on you. Because there is no other way in this universe in which anybody can be made right with God. There's no other way. The only way in which sinners can be made right with God is through this message of the crucified Redeemer a bleeding savior dying on a shameful cross. If you do not believe that message, the curse of God is on your head. The curse of God is on you. But then thirdly, this is a message that we must love to the extent that we should be willing to lose everything in order to maintain the integrity of this message. If it means 
that you're going to lose your life in the process, so be it. Because there is no other way in which sinners can be saved in the sight of God except in this way. There is no other name given under heaven by which sinners may be saved except the name of Jesus and Jesus alone. You are not going to be saved because you have been baptized or because you go to a particular church or because you come to this church. Salvation is only exclusively in Jesus Christ the crucified. That's the only way to be saved. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to God except through me. We cannot move away from that message. And as individual Christians and as a church, we must emphasize the only way you are going to have access to God, the only way you are going to enter heaven is through Jesus and him crucified. I have given that example before, but bear the repetition. Remember that dying thief on the cross, dying beside the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember him that he now dies and he is standing at the gate of heaven. And remember there that the angel comes to him and asks him, Yes, sir, can I help you? What is that man going to say? Because he had no works. He, he was a criminal. He, he had been condemned. He, he was right in the throes of death itself. When he turned in repentance and faith, Jesus, remember me. nothing to say. He who died besides me said that I could come. And that's all I have. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I claim. Naked I come to you for dress. Helpless I look to thee for grace. Save me, Savior, or I die. And that is saving faith. And that is the only true gospel. And that is how you will be saved. Amen. Let's pray. A gracious and loving Father, we thank you for the 
warnings that we find in scripture. And uh, we pray that you will grant by your spirit that we might take these warnings to heart. Remember that the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way in which guilty sinners can be reconciled to you. And be pleased to add a blessing to the preaching of your word. And may Jesus alone be honored and be glorified. We ask in his precious name,